Thanksgiving. It's good to see you, those of you online. Uh, thanks for uh, joining in. Um, I said it in the first service, and I'll say it again. You know, so often um, we, I mean, we love our worship team. We love our children's ministry uh, 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 servants. And sometimes we miss just to acknowledge those that work in our production, are, are doing the slides, doing the sound, doing the, uh, um, uh, just the uh, uh, live stream. And I know that we don't think about them much unless something goes wrong. And, and so if you're not thinking about them, it means they're doing great. And uh, if, you're, if, you're, if, if because something happens, usually it's not their fault. It's somebody else's. It's probably mine. I probably pushed the wrong button. Anyway, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you wouldn't, find your way to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in front of you. We ask you every week to open up your Bibles. We do it all over the church, whether it be children's ministry, student ministry, whether it be young adults, whether it be um, in our small groups, because this is God's word, and we want to hear what God has to say to us. If you have a black Bible, you can find 2 Timothy on page 936. When Pam and I owned restaurants in Las Vegas and in Southern California back in the 1990s and the early 2000s, we had a saying that many restaurants will say that the customer is, yeah, we said the customer is king, but yeah, like the customer thinks they're always right, and you want them to think that they're always right, and the customer is king, and a lot of businesses do that. What are they saying? That you're like, if, if they need something, we're going to do it for them. It's not a bad thought. But where and what kind of organization should the customer not be king? The church. We have a king, and that's Jesus Christ. The church isn't like a, a self-help conference. We're trying to just make a better vision of you. The church gets into trouble when they put the customer on the, on the throne, and we're focused on, like, we're just going to give you whatever you want versus what God wants for you. The church was established to bring glory to God, to bring glory to the one who has saved us by the sacrifice of his son. And this is why 2 Timothy chapter 4 is such an important passage of scripture for the church. See, the culture wants what it wants versus wanting what God wants for them. God gave us his word so we can know him, so we can have a relationship with us, with him. Like, you can go to the Grand Canyon, and you can say, there has to be a God. But the Grand Canyon will not show you and will not tell you how to have a personal relationship with him, a saving relationship with him, where when you die, you can go to heaven for eternity. That is revealed to us in his word, how we can have a saving relationship, how Jesus Christ the Son of God, God the Father sent God the Son into this world. God's perfect lamb, prefigured at the, at the Passover. He lived a sinless life, the spotless lamb. He died a sacrificial death on the cross in our place. He took all of the wrath of mankind for our sins because God is a perfect judge and he must judge sin. He went to the cross in our place, a sacrifice. He died in our place. Just uh, satisfying God's requirement for justice. And he was raised on the third day. God having been satisfied. You can have faith. You can have uh, salvation by putting your faith and trust 
in him. God gave us his word. He wants us to know his word. And that's why he tells Paul, Timothy, or Paul tells Timothy to preach the word. He doesn't say, like, preach seven ways to be a better you. Or preach seven ways to be a better husband or a better wife. Or preach seven ways to be a better parent. He says, preach the word, and through applying the word to your life, you will be a better you. You will be a better spouse. You will be a better parent. This should be so simple, but it's not. Why? Because the culture is not tolerant to the truth. They have a man-centered focus. Many are taught, even in our colleges, that truth is relative. Like you, It can be whatever you want it to be. Like two plus two doesn't have to equal four. That's craziness. There is a truth, and you want to know the truth, because when you know the truth, it'll set you free. They don't want anyone telling them about their sin or about God's judgment. People don't want to live under a higher authority. And statistics bear that out. They, they certainly don't want to live under the authority of God's word. George Barner, who's a Christian researcher, back in 2017, he commissioned a massive study that looked at the most Bible-minded cities in the country. Phoenix scored 90 out of 100. Now, unless you think that's a good score, they were 90th as far as both most Bible-minded. Chattanooga was number one. Chattanooga, Tennessee. 50% of Chattanooga is Bible-minded, meaning they, they, they'll read the Bible, they, they engage with it at least once a week. Phoenix, at 90th, 18% Bible-minded. Like, we're even behind Washington, D.C., which was 88, but we did beat out New York City and Las Vegas. So you got to feel good about that. But, but, but if 18% of the city is Bible-minded, that means, for you mathematicians, that 82% are not. It's a great opportunity and a great responsibility. We live in a culture that doesn't want to know truth. The fact is, Paul had said to Timothy, back in three, chapter 3, verse 12, he says, All who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. So what we see here, and I'm going to just put it as a big idea. It, it, Paul is telling Timothy, persevere in preaching God's word, even though the culture is intolerant to truth. You've got to persevere. Continue in it. Don't stop. Don't slow down. Continue to preach the truth. God's word, even though the culture is intolerant. So we see this starting in chapter 4, verse 1. Let me read that. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. 
and we'll turn away from listening to the truth and we'll wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to also all who loved his appearing. Powerful passage. Paul's final words to Timothy could have been written days before he was executed. The fact is, what he's telling Timothy is no matter the opposition, no matter the hardship, endure. Continue on. Don't stop. Preach the word. So what I want to look at today, I'm going to answer a question, and that's this. Why preach the word? Why? I'm going to give you six reasons from the text. We're going to start in chapter 3. We're going to go back a couple weeks. First reason, the time requires it. The time requires it. If you remember, in chapter 3, Paul says in verse 1, but understand this, in the last days, difficult times will come. Why? For people will be lovers of self. They'll have, a, they'll have a focus on self. In verse 4, at the end of verse 4, it says, they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You have 18 different manifestations of a wrong focus. They're focused on self and not on God. They're lovers of self and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's this misplaced focus that will cause difficult days, difficult times in the last days. There will be false converts. Verse 5 says, they have an appearance an appearance of godliness, but they deny the power. They have this appearance, but it's, there's no power in them because they don't have the Holy Spirit in them. There's going to be false teachers that will creep into people's homes, turning people away and turning them towards myths, always learning and never came able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul is saying, preach the word because the times require it. But secondly, we're to preach the word because the church fathers modeled it. The church fathers modeled it. Look at verse 10. He says, you, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching. Paul, the great apostle Paul, he says, you have followed my teaching. You have followed my doctrines. He, he says, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions. Verse 14, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. See, the church, the church fathers modeled teaching truth. Peter, Paul, James, Philip all taught God's truths. When the church started, they would go from city to city teaching truth. When you read the book of Matthew, what's amazing the first of the four Gospels, at least 60 different times in Matthew, he quotes from the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets, the, the history, he, he quotes, he, he always goes back to Scripture. They would always teach truth. The times require it. The church fathers modeled it. The third reason we need to preach the Bible or preach the word is because the authority of Scripture demands it. 
The authority of Scripture demands it. He goes on in verse 15. He says, and now from childhood, now from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. He says, Timothy, you've been acquainted since you were as a child with the sacred writings, which your grandmother and your mother taught you, which they learned through the church fathers. And he says, and he, he reminds them that it was the scriptures that makes him wise for salvation. You have learned about salvation in Jesus Christ, not from looking at the glory of the world around you, but through scripture. And then he says this, all scripture is breathed out by God. See, it's, it's, it's inspired, it's authoritative, it's sufficient. All scripture is breathed out by God. Every last word of it, this is God's word given to us. God wrote a book. Preach what he wrote. And notice, he tells you, all scriptures breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The authority of scripture demands that you preach the word. But fourth, and this is where we get to the text today, the Lord commands it. The Lord commands that you do it. Notice in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Now, in the New American Standard, it says, I solemnly charge you. Now, notice, Paul doesn't just say, I charge you. That would be enough. But he says, I charge you in the presence of God. Now it's time to sit up. Sit up straight. Okay, in the presence of God, I charge you. But not only in the presence of God, and you're going to see this just intensifies here, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Okay, you're now giving, being given this command in the, in the presence of God the Father and God the Son. And notice this, the one who is to judge the living and the dead. The one that is going to judge the living and the dead is giving you this charge. There will be a day we all stand before the Lord. At the judgment seat of Christ, you have the great white throne where the wheat are going to be separated from the tares. Those that are in Christ will spend eternity in heaven. Those that aren't in Christ will spend eternity in the lake of fire. There will be a day where those in Christ will stand before the Bema seat and give an account of our lives. Paul is telling Timothy, listen, and like he's just ramping this up. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, like it speaks of his second coming. Know this, Christ is coming again. In that exhortation, preach the word. Like preach the word. There's incredible weight given to this. And notice he says, preach. That word is the Greek word caruso, which means to herald. There were, like, we don't have heralds today. We have a bunch of talking heads, but they're not heralds. A herald 
represented the king, and they would go into a village. And I'm kind of thinking, at least the movie showed, like they would they'd pull out this scroll, and they would say what? Hear ye, hear ye. Hear the words of the king. Like, he wasn't making things up. He, all he was required to do is say exactly what the king told him to say. Not, not, not like water it down. Not make it a little socially acceptable. It's like, here are the words of the king. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 reminds us that we are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? Well, the United States has ambassadors all over the world. They represent our nation. They don't speak for themselves. They speak for the government of this country. They don't make things up. They have a playbook. That's the same thing here. He's saying, preach Caruso. He, he's saying, herald what? What are we to herald? The word. Preach the word. That word, lagas. It's the lagas. It's the word of Christ. There's an urgency here. I, I can just, I can imagine that if Paul wasn't in prison and Timothy wasn't in prison in Rome and Paul and Timothy wasn't in, in, in Ephesus as, as a pastor at that time, if they were together, I, I could just see Timothy grabbing, or Paul grabbing Timothy by the back of the neck in a loving way and just looking at him and say, Timothy, preach the word. Like, you know, Timothy's like, like getting this stuff off his face because it's like, but, but like there's an intensity here. Preach the word. Don't come up with your own stuff. Don't be a spin doctor. Just preach the word. Don't misrepresent what, the God, what God once said. That's why James 3 once says, let not many of you be teachers because you receive a stricter judgment. It's, we know that the word, the logos, Jesus is the logos. In fact, look at John. In John 1, in the beginning was the word, logos. In the beginning was the Lagos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Lagos, Jesus Christ, was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I mean, he was the creator of the universe. Nothing was made that wasn't made through Christ. And then verse 14, and the Word became flesh, the Lagos became flesh, Jesus Christ, who spoke the world into existence, became flesh. It speaks of his condescension when he took on flesh and became a man and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as, as of the only Son from God the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul is telling Timothy, preach the word. This is God's word breathed out to us. This is what you're called to preach. How are we to preach? Let me give you four ways that we see right here. There's, in fact, when he says preach, that's it. it's an imperative command. We see actually five imperatives in this verse. He says, preach the word. First, preach urgently. Preach urgently. He says, be ready. That, mean, that word be ready means to be prepared. It, 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 it's an urgent preparation. Be, pre be ready when? In season and out of season. When it's popular, when it's not popular. Uh, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. Preach the word, not just on Sundays. Preach the word. There's been times for me where it's not been convenient. There's been times where it's not been easy. 
I've, I've had to preach at every single one of, the family me- of my family members' funerals. It's not easy. Especially when I have unbelieving family members that are keeping a wary eye on me. What is he going to say? Is he going to try to push Jesus down my throat? Do I listen to them or do I listen to what the Word of God says? Am I trying to please man or am I trying to please God? I preached a message, a funeral, when we first moved here. There's a lady that went to our church and her father had died. and He had been a police officer in the Glendale Police Department. And so I met with him and I said, I said, was he a believer? And she said, I'm not sure. It's hard to know. We, we just don't know for sure. Well, I'm not going to tell people at that funeral, like, he's now in a better place. I don't know that. If he's not in Christ, he's certainly not in a better place. The best he ever was going to have is here on earth. Hell is not a great place. If you ever, if you ever read about it in the Bible, you know that. So what am I going to say? Well, what I said was, and it was based on Luke, I believe it was 18, Lazarus and the rich man. I said, if, and I forget his name, it's Mike. If, if Mike were to return here today, he'd look around, he'd want, want to thank you and that, he, that you're all here. He, he'd want to say, I love you. And maybe some people he'd want to ask for forgiveness from. But then he would say this, he would say, it's real. He would say, it's real. There is a heaven and there's a hell. He says, I will tell you right now, it is real. And the way you know you spend eternity in heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. He would want to tell you that right now. It's not always easy. But the fact is, we're called to preach the word. To preach the word in season and out of season. We do it urgently, but not only urgently, we do it specifically. So we see preach as a command. When he says be ready is a command, but then we see reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Three more commands. Specifically, reprove. It means to correct, to correct one's behavior, to convince. It's actually a legal term. It's to present your case in a matter as to... Convince a person of his wrong. It's why 2 Timothy 2.15 is so important. We've, we've talked about it, that we would, we, would be, um, we would do our best to present ourselves to God. That, that we would not be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. I mean, the fact is, we want to know God's word so we can rightly handle it. Reprove. Secondly, rebuke. How many of you love to rebuke people? Like, I have the ministry of rebuking. Like, you were just like, I want to be a world-class rebuker. I mean, how many friends are you going to have? It's like, like I'm going to rebuke you and you and you. Like, none of us want to, but see, God's word, if we just take God's word and speak that, it will rebuke. Preach the word. He says, he says reprove, rebuke. It's to confront false teaching and their teachings. It's to make an appeal. It's like, okay, you're sinning against God. You need to turn from your sin and turn back to Christ. You, you don't have to do it in, a, in, a, in an offsetting way. You can do it in a loving way. But the most loving thing you can do is if somebody's going, if they're running out in the street, the most loving thing you can do is tell them not to run out in the street. That's loving. So I'd rather be offended 
I'd rather you be offended by speaking truth than to have you walk this wide path of destruction. Listen to what William Barclay wrote. William Barclay, I love his, I love his commentaries. He's a great, he's a great uh, Greek scholar. He's got really good history, but sometimes he's a little weird on some of the miracles. But he says this, any teacher whose teaching makes men think less of sin is a menace to Christianity and to mankind. Like so often people say, like, just tell me what I want to hear so I can feel comfortable in my sin. No, we don't want you to feel comfortable in your sin. We want you to be convicted by the Holy Spirit so you turn from your sin and turn to Christ. And then exhort. That's to encourage someone to right behavior, to come alongside them. Some people need rebuking and some people need encouragement. Pam used to, in a very loving way, remind me, and sadly she had to do it a lot, you know, Bill, I think you need to show a little encouragement, give a little encouragement to your boys. You're really good at criticizing them. Like anybody here besides me have a tendency to criticize more than they encourage? Like, why is that? Like, let me ask you, would you rather be encouraged or would you rather be criticized? Uh, no, I'd rather be criticized. No, we all want to be encouraged. Why don't we encourage others? And like, so like she had, she'd have to remind me. And, you know, it's amazing when you encourage them. Like, you just see it in their face. You see it in their countenance, for sure. There's a saying that says a, pe a preacher's job is to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. I believe that is true in many ways. So how are we to preach urgently, specifically, Third, patiently. We see that here. Patiently. It, it, sometimes it takes patience. And, and the fourth way is instructively. Sometimes we just be patiently instruct someone. We, we want to make sure that we're not just like, man, you need to get this right now. If not, you're a loser. No, you got to come alongside. Like when Pam and I got saved, man, we had so much to learn. And Mike Fetchner, and I, I've, I've said it, I mean, he was going to take us through a, a, a discipleship for three months. It was two and a half years. Like we were slow learners. He was patient. I was a slow learner. She was like, come on, Bill, you can get this. It's, it's not rocket science. Come on, let's go. But, but the fact is, it's, we want to not just preach, but teach. Teach the truths of sound doctrines. And the fact is, my job is to preach truth. And your job is to listen for truth and to receive truth. See, there's an urgency here. And if there's an urgency to preaching the word, there should be an urgency to receiving the word. And, and, and I think the way you do that, I read a book once, it's called Expositional Listening. Like we're, I'm an expositional preacher, like what does the word say? But it talks about expositional listening. And that means you come ready, you come prepared to hear what God's word has to say. It's, it's, it's the idea that one of the reasons I send out an email every Friday, I know you guys read it from top to bottom, and you're like, you just can't wait to get it. It's like, when's it going to get in my inbox? And you can't wait to read it, and you can't wait to see the, the, the passage that I'm going to teach this week so you can read it. But, but, but when you do that, that's expositional listening. Because you're, you're preparing yourself. And, 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 and part of preparing yourself is not just running in here, like, last minute, Maybe hitting the last song and then hearing the word. Like, we want to come in expectant, come in ready to worship, ready to worship God, ready to hear what he has to say to us. So important. 
come with the goal of being a hearer and a doer of the word. Why preach the word? The times require it. The church fathers modeled it. The authority of scripture demands it. The Lord commands it. Fifth, the deceived are desperate for for it. Many don't know it, but they are desperate for God's word. 1997, when Pam and I got invited to church in Dallas, I didn't want to go. I had, I had, like, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be with those church people. I don't need to hear about Jesus. Like, I'm good. I didn't know how desperately I needed it. Pam, on the other hand, she knew that she desperately needed it. And she knew I needed it, but like, she wasn't going to be the one to tell me. And, and the fact is, there's many that desperately need God's word because we're deceived by the ways of the culture. Look at verse 3. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. He says, The time is coming. There will be a day. There will be an epoch. There'll be a season when people will not endure sound teaching. They won't tolerate, they won't listen to it. In fact, if you look in your textual note at the bottom, that word, that word for, for, for sound, it's a word for healthy. Here's, here's a word that's going to help them become healthy. They have a disease, it's called sin. It's a deadly disease. And, and, and yet, we have a we have an antidote for that disease, and they don't want to hear it. It's kind of like if you had a cure for a disease, and you came and told me about it, and I reject it, that's what's going on here. They don't want to hear anything that doesn't confirm their thinking and ways. They don't want anything that's going to confront them. This is not new. God confronts the nation of Israel before they were taken over by the Babylonians. We see that in Isaiah chapter 30. He says, for they are rebellious people, speaking of Israel, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Like, we want to hear smooth things. We want to hear things that make us feel good about what we're doing wrong. Teach to us smooth things. Prof- smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. They just, like, they turned away from the truth. And notice what Paul says. Having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion. They're going to have itching ears. Let me ask you. When you have an itch, what do you want to do? Scratch it. Like I, was, I, was at, I was at a, an Ace hardware about a year ago. And I'm in the line. And, you know, they got like little chocolate-covered cherries and all these kind of things and they got the the pretzels and stuff and all of a sudden I see sitting there one of these I'm thinking that's awesome 
and it was a dollar twenty nine. And I bought three of them. I've got one right next to my bed. There's one right where Pam and I sit on the couch, and there's one at my office at home. And when I get an itch, guess what I do? I scratch it. I scratch it. Oh, it feels really good. It's really good. And you can take it wherever you want. Like when you have an itch, you want to scratch it. People will have itching ears, he says. And guess what they'll do? They will accumulate for themselves. That word accumulate, it means to gather around, to heap up. They already know what they want, and it's not truth. Their, their minds are made up, so I'm going to download teachers. They're going to make me feel good about what God is against. We have to look at some of the things that we've downloaded and say, is it pushing us closer to God or away from God? And, and notice what it says here. Teachers that suit their own passions. That word passions is epithumia. It's a word for lust. It's a word for desires. It's self-indulgent cravings that displaces our affections for God. They're accumulating opinions and perspectives that align with their own. Guess what happens when you speak truth to them? Verse 4. And we'll turn away from listening to the truth. It's like the truth is over here. And they just literally turn 180 degrees. And notice, it's just not turning away from the truth. But then they wander off, it says, into myths. That word myths, it's also a word fables. False philosophies, fabricated viewpoints. It could be modern philosophy. It could be contemporary opinion. It could be a socially acceptable theology or pragmatism. It could be consumer mentality where the customer is the king. I wrote down five ways people are tempted to ignore the word. What maybe makes them ignore the word? One, feelings. Now, feelings aren't bad, but when we become con controlled by our feelings versus what the truth says then we've gotten off on the wrong foot. It's it, our, our emotions. They can drive our beliefs or our worldview. So we, we have to always go back to what does the truth say? Who am I in Christ? Uh, I, I, that's why it's so important to remember your identity in Christ. That you know Ephesians chapter 1, we are loved. We've been redeemed. We've been chosen. We've been predestined. We've received an inheritance. We've, we've been sealed with the, with the promised Holy Spirit. It's an important not to just go by your feelings, but what does God's word say? Second, it could be comfort. We, we, we like our comfort over truth. Truth might make us feel uncomfortable. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. I want to be comfortable. It could be apathy. Apathy. We just kind of, you know, I think sometimes when people grow up in the church and they know kind of the church truths, they just get away from reading the Bible. But that's a dangerous thing to do. Apathy, we just take it for granted. It, it could be our opinions. We, we start to elevate the authority of our opinions over the authority of God's word. That's a dangerous place to go. We like to pit, fit parts of God's word into our thoughts versus submitting all of our thoughts under God's word. Finally, we start rationalizing. 
We start rationalizing. We explain away what we don't like. We, we, we become like cafeteria Christians. We'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of this. I do not like the jello, so I'm going to keep that there. And, and for some people, there's jello, green jello in the, in the Bible, not because it's wiggly or squishy, because they just don't want to hear it. And I, I wrote down why some preachers don't preach the word. For fear of people leaving, I think. Like, if, if I say something that goes against, and it, it's written, it's just exposed out of the word, and it goes against your traditions, your family, kind of what you've been thinking, you might want to leave and go somewhere where somebody will tell you what you want to hear. So there's people that don't want to lose people out of their church. And, and honestly, I don't. I don't. But at the end of the day, am I trying to please man or am I trying to please God? And I have to stand before the Lord one day and give an account of my life. And so that's why we're really faithful to open up the word of God every day, every Sunday. In, in all of our children's ministry students, the students right now are over at Mercury Mines, and they're going through the Bible. That's, that's what we do. See, we don't sell out to God in order we can sell out seats. The fact is the word of God cuts deep. We know that. And sometimes it doesn't feel great. Now, now let's, let's say I told you that a couple years ago, someone knocked me out and cut part of my brain out and then poisoned me for a couple years. You'd think, like, you seem okay to me. <laughs> but but, but if, if that were to happen, you'd think, like, that, that's crazy. But if I told you that it was a surgeon that had me do an MRI that found out that I had brain cancer and they had to open my brain up, which I don't have and they haven't had to do. Sometimes Pam thinks I've had a problem with my brain. But they'll, they'll cut it out and then they have to do chemo for two years. I mean, the purpose for that even though it's painful at the time, is to make you healthy, to help you survive. And, and that's what we see going on here. That The word of God is like a scalpel. Listen to what Hebrews 4 says. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. It works in us, the word of God. The spirit of God uses the word of God to, to work in the spirit of us, to to, to change us. And it, it, it divides joint and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, it's like a mirror that shows us what's really going on in our hearts, in our lives. And like a, with a good surgeon, sometimes it just takes some good surgery so you can heal rightly. The deceived are desperate for it. But notice what Paul says to Timothy in verse 5. He says, as for you, in, 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 because all of these false teachers, people that are going away from the truth, he says, as for you, in contrast to those that turn away from the truth, he says, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Four more commands. I mean, there's a lot of commands here. And Paul is just like, he's trying to get them out as fast as possible. 
Because again, he doesn't know when he's going to be executed. And, and, and so he's really getting after him. As a result of the time, he says, he says be sober-minded. I mean, keep your head in all situations. Don't panic. He says, endure suffering. We know that from chapter 3, verse 12, that all who desire to live godly will suffer, in pers- will suffer persecution. You're, you're going to have to endure it. The fact is, we will suffer persecution as Christians. He says, do the work of an evangelist. In other words, take the truth of God's word, and for those 82%, for the 3.85 million, do the work of an evangelist. Now, one of the things that we know is that God gifts each one of us, and some of you have the gift of evangelism, but some of you don't. But, even though, that you don't, even though you may not have the gift of evangelism, you're still called to evangelize. Even though you may not have the gift of mercy, you're still called to be merciful. Even though you don't have the gift of serving, you're still called to serve. So don't, don't say, well, I just don't have the gift of evangelism. No, you may not. But you're still called to speak the truth. And, 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 and he, says, he says, do the work of an evangelist. He says, fulfill your ministry. And as, as Christians... We're all called to serve. We're all called to a ministry. My pastor in Dallas, that was a big church. We we had 7,000 seats in the worship center. We had three services. And people would ask him, how many ministers do you have at the church? And he said, ah, about 20,000. Every member of minister, we're all called to minister. It's serving. And and so he's saying that here. Our life and our words should project the gospel. The fact that apart from Apart from Jesus Christ, you're going to spend eternity in hell. That Jesus has made a way for you to have eternal life. And that's through your faith in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, one of the things I think is good about the challenge to be evangelists is because sometimes we want to argue the nuances of theology and doctrine. And I'm not against that. But when you start sharing the gospel with different people, you're not focused on the, the nuances of theology. You just want to make it simple and clear so they can understand it, so they can come to Christ and be saved. Like last weekend, like we, we saw seven people baptized in that second service. We had one schedule. And there were people that through the conviction of the Holy Spirit got baptized. One of the girls, Johannes, let her out back and just led her to Christ right there. So did, did not go through a theological treatise or go through systematic theology for her. Like she just knew she needed to be saved. She knew she was a sinner and, and she desperately needed forgiveness. It was a beautiful thing. He says, fulfill your ministry, press on, don't quit, don't give up. Finally, why should we preach the word? The Lord rewards it. The Lord rewards it. Now, this next passage of scripture is really cool the way way it flows. Paul, what he does is he talks about his present situation. And then he looks back at the life that he's lived. And as a result of the life that he's lived, he's looking forward to his rewards. Let me just read it real quick. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come, present tense. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight, past tense. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, past tense. Henceforth, 
There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me future tense on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's an amazing thing. Like, he's saying, I know that I'm going to die. It's coming. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come, and he knows to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. Like, he's looking back at his life, and there's no regrets. Like, if you were to die today, would there be regrets? And if the answer is yes, man, don't stay there. Like, I want, there's something that's got to change so you can look back and not have regrets. Let that start today. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And as a result, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. He's going to get a crown, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Notice day is capitalized. What's that day? It's the day of the Lord, the day of the return of Christ. He will reward to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who love the appearing. See, when Jesus returns, and he will return, there's going to be the great white throne of judgment that's going to separate for those, those in Christ and those not in Christ. It's going to separate the sheep from the goat. If you're in Christ, you spend eternity in heaven. If not, you be cast into the lake of fire. Scripture is very clear about it. Jesus tells us about that. And, and for those who have loved his appearing, that have received Christ, they'll stand before the Bema seat, which is the judgment seat. We give account of our lives. And we get crowns. If you've loved his appearing and have endured suffering, there's a crown of righteousness. See, this gave Paul so much hope. It's where we get our hope. See, his hope was not in his past faithfulness. His hope was based on his faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. See, when we just look to the cross, look to what he's done for us, we, we sit in that, we reflect on that, it changes how we live. And all of a sudden, we're not trying to like, man, I hope I, hope I get all this stuff. Like, we're just living a life that brings glory to him. Like, it, it doesn't matter what our list says. We want to live from the inside out. Paul knew that. There's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. He was looking forward to that day, and I pray you are looking forward to that day, the day of the Lord, which will award to me, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. See, for those of us that look to the faithfulness of God, to the mercy of God, to the grace of God, to the forgiveness of God, we have a lot of hope. We look forward with joy and with hope. It was this truth that caused Paul to persevere in preaching the truth, even though the culture was intolerant to it. The bad news is we live in a city where only 18% of the people are Bible-minded. But the good news is, while we're on this earth, there's 88% of the people we come in contact with that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Why do we preach the word? The times require it. The church fathers modeled it. 
The authority of Scripture certainly demands it. The Lord commands it. The deceived are desperate for it, and the Lord rewards it. So as our worship team comes up, let me, let me just start with this. Are you someone that is a worker who knows how to rightly handle the word of God? You don't have to be a preacher. But you just spend time studying God's word. Or some of you that may need to even today say, like, I just want to be a better student of God's word. Just start by reading it. There, there's some of you maybe have never received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Listen. If there's nothing else you take out of this message today, make sure that you know that you know if you were to walk out of here today that you'll spend eternity in heaven because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Not because of your parents' faith. Not because you go to a Christian school or that you go to a, a church that preaches the Bible. Make sure that you know because you've turned from your sin and you've turned to Jesus as your only hope for eternal life. There's some people maybe today that just, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up. There's some people out there that just need to hear the truth. And God's put you in their path for a reason. Pray for a divine appointments. God will give you divine appointments. Listen, Jesus is returning again soon. We're called to be ready. Father, thank you for this truth, for this passage of Scripture, for the urgency of it, the clarity of it. And the hope that it brings us. Father, we look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. Help us to live in view of that. I pray even today we would be changed as a result of that truth. It's in Jesus' name I pray.